Welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes and Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. I'm Nathan Koppel, the Director of Media Relations for Haynes Boone. Our returning guest today is Haynes Boone Associate Michael Lambert, who is based in our Austin office and is a member of the firm's Intellectual Property Practice Group. Michael focuses on media, entertainment, IP, and First Amendment litigation. So Michael and I today will complete our three-part discussion about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which provides immunity with some exceptions to companies like Google, Twitter, and Facebook from liability for third-party content, such as reader posts, YouTube videos, and Instagram posts. As a reminder, in the first podcast on this topic, Michael talked about the history that led to the adoption of Section 230 and analyzed some of the key features of the law. And in part two, he discussed an exception to the immunity provisions provided by Section 230. And that that, uh, podcast focused on the so-called Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, or FOSTA, which allows claims against online services that are alleged to have facilitated sex trafficking. And today we're going to talk about some of the controversy that has swirled around Section 230, and it has prompted calls to reform the law. Before we get going today, though, our disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be legal advice and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss today are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Michael, welcome back for part three of our discussion. Thanks, Nathan. Good to be here. And uh, before we get uh, delve into the main topic of today, I'd like you to see if you could just give us a quick overview of Section 230. Right. So as you said, you know, Section 230, it's within the Communications Decency Act. You know, it's a federal law enacted in 1996. And as you said, it gives online services legal protection from lawsuits that were brought um, based on information from a third party, typically a third party speech. And importantly, it also expressly allows online services to moderate content in good faith without fear of liability. And it's purposefully broad and has a broad protection that applies to search engines and social media companies and websites. You know, basically any forum that hosts others' content on the Internet um, can be protected under Section 230. Thanks for that. Now, it's pretty rare for federal regulations to get as much press as Section 230 does. It's... um a regular source of, of, of press, both pro and con. Um, so I was going to see if you, you could, you know, talk about what, particularly the criticism of 230, what's behind it? Yeah, there's been a growing groundswell of, of talk about Section 230 really over the past 10 years. Um, I think the biggest impetus for this discussion has been the power and the control that social media companies and other online platforms have and the amount of control that they have on our speech, you know, because social media really has become the modern public square, which is something that Justice Kennedy famously said in a Supreme Court case, uh, Packingham versus North Carolina, you know, that social media has become where we are, we share our ideas. Um, But at the same time, the public has started to sort of believe that these online services have too much power and control over that type of speech. Um, You know, and there have been people that have accused social media companies of also censoring their speech that they didn't like for political reasons. And on the other side, you know, there's some people that think social media companies don't do enough and take enough steps to actually regulate harmful speech. 
You know, another thing that sort of played a role has been the rise of misinformation and disinformation. You know, that really became a big issue around the 2016 election, you know, as misinformation surrounding the presidential election became so prevalent on social media. Um, people began seeing the influence that social media companies have over democracy and over our elections, which is just so important to this country. You know, and this concern was raised again during the coronavirus pandemic, you know, as health misinformation began began running rampant on social media. You know, and even more recently, as as as, as soon as, you know, a few weeks ago, um, you're seeing pushback against social media companies for the effects that they have on society, how, the effects that they have on the youth and, and the mental health of our youth and just mental health of, of just, you know, society at, as as a whole. Um, you know, there's recent congressional testimony from a Facebook whistleblower, um, and there was incredible reporting from the Wall Street Journal and other newspapers showing that Facebook knew um, that its platforms are causing harm, yet it hasn't really taken um, enough steps to change its algorithm or, or fully address these issues generally. Um, and then at the political level, you know, not a lot in Congress is bipartisan, but Section 230 reform has really found um, bedfellows between the left and the right, as both sides are really interested in finding ways to limit social media's control over public discourse. And, and amending and, and changing Section 230 is really one way um, that Congress can do that. And, and I guess on the right, the criticism has been more the notion that there's perhaps some censorship that um, these companies have been involved in. And on maybe on the left, it's the com- concern has been more about the alleged role they may play in disinformation. Is, it, right. is that right? Yeah, that's typically how how it comes down. Although, as you know, obviously, you know, some some politicians, you know, are more moderate and maybe share both of those views or in, in the level of concern uh, varies. But um, it is generally those are sort of the positions of the Republicans and the Democrats that both want reform. And I guess implied in the criticism, of course, is the idea that that these that companies may be somehow complicit in some of the problems that you outlined. And I, and I guess the rationale behind Section 230 was the idea that these companies are, are merely providing a platform. Um, they're the ones that, that are providing this public square and, and really have no role in what happens, uh, you know, at, at that. Is, is, um, is that kind of the the broad contours of this. Yeah. And I think, you know, section 230 was enacted in 1996, right. You know, so you're talking about 25 years ago and, you know, the power that social media companies and other internet platforms have today is nothing, nothing, nothing like that existed in 1996. And, you know, nobody could see into the future. So I think it's a situation in which there's a lot of um, support for the law being updated because so much has changed, you know, since then. Yeah, absolutely. You could certainly argue that maybe social media has has uh, now more influential than, than newspapers or even TV news. But um, so let's move on to some reform, some of the reform discussions. If Section Two Thirty were, were to be reformed, what what might that look like? So we're really seeing reform on three different levels. Um, the first way is by federal legislation that would be enacted by Congress. Um, We're also seeing states enact legislation and consider legislation that would otherwise, um, you know, curb some of the immunity um, given to Internet platforms. And then the third way is through courts, right? Courts are interpreting this federal law and um, will address some kind of some type of the ways that courts have sort of 
um, you know, are calling on Congress to maybe make some changes and also sort of interpreting the law a little bit differently? Well, let's let's start at the congressional level or at the federal level. What what would what are some of the reform measures that are that are pending now in Congress? Yeah, so Slate has a tracker, and according to their tracker, there are more than a dozen federal bills pending in Congress to amend or repeal Section 230. And they sort of fall into four different types of bills. You know, there's the bills that just want to repeal Section 230 completely. Um, There are bills that carve out additional exceptions, um, like FOSTA, as we talked about. Um, And then there are some bills that will impose new obligations on online services in order to qualify for Section 230 protection, meaning you must you must as an online service do um, certain take certain type of steps. And if you meet those steps, then you are able to have Section 230 protection. And then the last category is um, those that sort of limit the ability of online services to remove content. So one federal bill that has been introduced recently is called the Justice Against Malicious Algorithm Act, and it would make internet platforms liable when they knowingly or recklessly use algorithms to recommend content that leads to physical or severe emotional harm. Another bill is called the 21st Century Foundation for Right to Express and Engage in Speech Act, and this one repeals Section 230 completely and reclassifies online platforms as common carriers. And then there's one called the See Something, Say Something Online Act. And this one's sponsored by Senator Joe Manchin. And it requires platforms to report activities relating to terrorism, serious drug offenses, and violent crime to the Department of Justice. You know, and most commentators don't think that there's going to be significant movement on these bills in the, in the very near future. Because as I think we all know, Congress is very preoccupied with some other priorities. Um, but these are, there are there's the chance that they could gain steam um, down the road. And it's also important to note that this hasn't been a huge priority for the Biden administration. You know, he did famously say in a New York Times interview that Section 230 should be revoked immediately. But since then, we really haven't heard a lot from him. So it will be interesting to see if and when some of these bills pick up steam where, you know, where he falls and, and and how he believes that maybe, you know, Section 230 should be reformed. And I mean, do you think, given the fact that uh, there are criticisms kind of all on all ends of the political spectrum, do you think it's possible that that both sides might just say, let's throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, and just revoke the law? Or is it just too too soon to say? I think it's too soon to say. I, I would not think that that is the most likely scenario, honestly. I think that some of these other reform measures, I really think the algorithm um, you know, adjusting the algorithm and, and, and incurring liability based on al- the algorithm um, and the harms that 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 it comes from that um, may be one way. Um, I think there are there are more nuanced ways that have a better chance of passage, you know, such as FOSTA. That was a very narrow bill, but it was able to gain bipartisan support. So I think it'd be more it's more likely to be more narrowly tailored than just a complete um, tossing of Section 230. But Um, you know, I just, I don't think it's really clear where this is going to go, which makes it so interesting. Thanks for that. And now I'm going to turn to the state level. I know you couldn't begin to survey all the activity that's going on in states around 230, but are are there a couple of of sort of reform, higher profile reform measures that you can talk about? 
Yeah, I think it's important to, to know that, um, you know, Section 230 is a federal law. So states can't amend or repeal Section 230, but they have been active in, in passing bills um, that limit some of the protections that social media companies have generally. Uh, Florida is, is one of those states. Um, it passed a law that requires platforms to restrict speech um, in a consistent manner and makes it easier for the state's election commission to find social media companies um, that ban political candidates um, in the run-up to elections. Um, Texas also has enacted uh, a bill recently, and it in this particular bill, um, it declares that online services are common carriers, and it prevents social media companies with more than 50 million monthly users to ban users based on their viewpoints. I mean, it requires social media platforms to establish complaint systems where users can submit complaints if their content is removed. And in both of these laws, the ones in Texas and in Florida are both being challenged in the courts. So the jury is still out on the constitutionality of, of those laws. And there are many other states that are considering bills um, that are sort of in the same vein as the Texas and, and Florida laws, but also um, there are different ways in which they are trying to regulate social media platforms. And I'm guessing, Michael, that Twitter and Facebook hit, would hit that 50 million monthly user threshold. That's sort of the aim of the of the law. That's sort of why that mark is is there, because they they do understand that some of the smaller platforms may not have the resources to um, engage in the type of moderation that these laws require. But, you know, the ones that do have so many millions of users that the idea is that they they will have the resources to be able to sort of co to comply with the laws. Well, let's let's look at the courts. How how has Section 230 fared there? Have there been any high profile rulings addressing the legality of the law? Yeah. So since 1996, courts have really had broad interpretations of Section 230, um, but that's starting to fade a little bit. And, and courts are actually expressing some skepticism about Section 230. Um, you know, for an example, there was a decision this summer. Um, from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that actually called on Congress to reconsider Section 230's protections. You know, in last year, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas um, wrote a concurring opinion in a Supreme Court case that was about President Trump blocking users on Twitter. You know, he took this opportunity to write that social media companies have too much power over speech. And in, in his opinion, he considered new ways that maybe social media companies could be regulated. You know, one other thing that's important to remember when we're talking about how courts could affect Section 230 is that the Supreme Court has never ruled on a case involving Section 230. So while we've all been working under the interpretations of Section 230 by lower courts, you know, the Supreme Court could really rein in Section 230's protections if a case came before it um, in which it was asked to interpret Section 230. Yeah, it seems like given all the um, sort of controversy around it, not, not beyond the pale that the Supreme Court could take this up at some point. So assuming that 230 is reformed or, or even repealed, uh, what impact might that have on, on online services? You know, one thing that's sure to happen is that litigation is going to increase. You know, if online services no longer have immunity for third-party content, there's going to be a big influx of lawsuits that have been filed that are seeking to hold online services liable for third-party content. We're also going to see more litigation from users challenging decisions to ban them or remove their content. You know, and not only are, is there going to be more lawsuits, the, the litigation is also going to probably be longer because the online services won't be able to escape um, 
the lawsuits early like they can sometimes if they raise a Section 230 defense. If you just think about the exposure that these companies would face, it it almost boggles the mind if if that were to ever pass. Well, before we wrap this up, any other parting thoughts uh, about 230? You know, another consequence of repealing or amending Section 230 is that the online services will likely reduce or eliminate some features that allow users to post content out of fear of liability. Online services will generally become a little more cautious about what is allowed on their websites. And, you know, things are going to get more expensive. You know, online services are going to have to spend more money um, moderating and reviewing content and fighting, you know, these lawsuits in courts. And those costs could be passed down to users. So that's something to keep in mind. You know, and, and finally, Section 230 has been around for 25 years and its protections have largely remained the same. But and that's that's the case, even though the Internet looks drastically different than it did then. You know, so we don't know what the Internet ecosystem is going to look like over the next 25 years, you know, and whether Section 230 or anything like it will still exist at that point. is really anyone's guess. But I think it's pretty fair that it's going to look different today. I don't think Section 230, as it's been operating the past 25 years, can continue over the next 25 years. But I don't have the answers of how that will happen, which makes this conversation so interesting. And we'll all we'll all be waiting. But I do think it will look differently. Yeah, you can see how that could really stall potential reform efforts because it's such a moving target about, about you know, the social media ecosystem. I mean, it's just changing almost daily. But, Michael, I just want to thank you for that incredible overview of a law that's, in, you know, incredibly consequential and it seems to be growing more significant, uh, you know, every day, every year. Um, before we sign off, I just want to invite listeners to visit the firm's website at haynesboon.com where you will find our media and entertainment litigation practice page, which contains links to our media, entertainment, and First Amendment newsletter with lots of articles that I think you'll find of interest. And it also contains links to our podcast, including the three-part series that just concluded about Section 230. Um, and I also invite you to, uh, to get our podcast wherever on all the popular podcast platforms. Thanks and take care.